Did we just watch a replay of the Carolina-Duke game from earlier this season? That's exactly what Saturday night felt like because this experienced squad just doesn't have the knack for closing and it's going to cost them a trip to March Madness unless they can win the ACC tournament. You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello there, it's Monday, March 6, 2023. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, the only daily North Carolina show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shea, drinking my last real Dr. Pepper for a good long time because as of today, I'm getting in swimsuit mode because I turned 40 in less than a year and I got to try to look good. So, a celebratory sip of Dr. Pepper. And now I got to get healthy. Somebody hold me to it. Okay, coming up on today's show, uh, our Four Corners recap, our shady stat of the game, plus Carolina's ACC tournament path and how they can get a potential auto bid uh, by winning that tournament. But first, folks, I've, I've got a tissue here. I've got my lemon Oreo cookies, and you know why? Because these have now gone from a good luck charm to comfort food. And you know what? I'm going to eat one more before this whole diet thing starts. We have yet another counseling session as we just try to figure out what on earth is happening with this team. I don't know about you, but I just can't quit them. They re keep reeling me back in and I keep thinking it's going to happen. But unfortunately, Carolina falls on Saturday, 62-57, to 57, on senior night, unfortunately, in what was essentially a facsimile of the previous game this season. It's all part of a script that Carolina has followed over and over again as we've gone through the 2022-23 season. <laughs> listen, listen to how similar this was, as Carolina had the inability, once again, to extend a second half lead as Carolina had the ability, inability, I should say, excuse me, yet again to close. How similar was it to the game at Cameron? Let me just give you a couple little tidbits here. First game, the score, 63 to 57. The score on Saturday, 62 to 57. Carolina held Duke one shy of last game. Take that, Blue Devils. But that means Carolina has now scored under 60 in both regular season games against Duke this year. This is the first time to do that in both the regular season games against Duke since the 2009-10 NIT season. How else did it resemble the first game? Well, how about North Carolina going on a closing drought? In the first game, the game at Cameron, Carolina had no points and no field goals for the final 356 of the game, essentially the last four minutes. On Saturday night, no points in the final 1 minute 56 seconds, and no field goals in the final 419. So essentially no field goals in the last four minutes of either game. Or how about this? Carolina in a position to be able to get a lead back or, or maybe have a, a go-ahead and ultimate game-winning uh, layup or free throw or anything. And in both games, Jeremy Roach hit a back-breaking layup with under a minute to go that it, Duke already had a lead and extended it in both instances. So many similarities between the two games. And so uh, let's, let's settle in on this inability 
to extend a lead or to close a game. For example, on Saturday night, North Carolina had a four-point lead with like eight and a half-ish to go. And then they give up back-to-back buckets. One, uh, like an immediate layup to Mark Mitchell, who just sliced through the defense. And then uh, an alley oop to Derek Lively for his only bucket of the game. Both of those were defensive lapses that Coach Davis uh, was upset about and talked about post-game. Or how about when we get to that the final two points of the game for North Carolina, Armando Baycott, two free throws to make the score 57-56, with 157 to go. And then Duke goes on a 6-0 run to close the game. Carolina doesn't score again. So this experienced and talented Carolina squad just does not know how to close well. And it's burned them now multiple times this season. What do I mean? Listen to this. You might remember that Carolina has 12 losses now on the season. In eight of those 12 losses... The Tar Heels have held a second half lead at some point in the final 20 minutes. Iowa State, yes. Alabama, yes. Indiana, no. Virginia Tech, no. Pittsburgh, yes. Virginia, yes. Pittsburgh, yes. First time at Duke, yes. Wake Forest, no. Miami, no. And then NC State and Duke, yes. So eight of Carolina's 12 losses, they have held a second half lead. Moreover, what's even perhaps more maddening than that? is of those 12 losses, still, still only one of them is by double digits. And that was a 12-point loss at Indiana. Carolina's average margin of defeat in those 12 losses, including that 12-point loss to Indiana, is 5.91 points. The Tar Heels have lost 12 games by an average margin of defeat of 5.9 points. I don't know if that makes me more sad and more frustrated or if it makes me like okay well they're not losing that bad but then you it it starts me spiraling on all these what ifs of like we've lost these games these 12 games by an average of under six points that's two or three possessions a different way and you've heard me say so often how dialed in you have to be on every play right every play matters everything you do And you think back to Saturday night, think about some of the wasted shots, some of the wasted turnovers. You could easily find three of those on either offense or defense that Carolina could turn around and turn this loss into a victory. And that is the same script that has been written in just about every one of these losses this season. And it's not like you need all 12 of them to be in the NCAA tournament or to have a good seed. Carolina probably doesn't even need six of them. If they just had two, three, four more wins, against the right opponents, they would not be sweating anything right now, and neither would you and I. I just can't quit this Carolina team. But their inability to close and their inability to extend leads is maddening. Let me give you one silver lining, one piece of good news before we move on. Virginia, even though they played Louisville on Saturday, thank goodness when we woke up on Sunday morning, their net ranking when it refreshed was still 30. So that means that North Carolina still has that one wonderful, sweet little quad one victory. And it doesn't look like they're getting more because Michigan lost at Indiana, which might be better because Michigan's essentially in the same bubble spot as the Tar Heels. And they're out now probably as well. So it was a sad and frustrating Saturday night. You know what? One more uh, comfort bite of this Oreo cookie. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the goods. <laughs> well, obviously, as we do every uh, basketball recap, we want to talk about our four corners recap and our shady stat of the game. And we're going to do that in just a moment as I move from eating Oreo cookies to telling you about healthy protein bars. You're looking for a delicious treat, but you don't want all the fat and calories? Then you got to try a Built Bar. I don't know if you're like me where you're moving into trying to eat healthier, which I've clearly not done yet, but I'm about to. But you don't want to compromise the taste, then man, you got to try a Built Bar because with Built, healthy is also tasty. What makes them so good? Well, they're covered in 100% real chocolate, not to mention amazing flavors like churro and peanut butter brownie. And honestly, I'm not sure how Built does it, but they do all this while still maintaining great macros. Only 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, and yet 17 grams of protein. Plus now, you don't have to wait around for a, a box to be delivered from Built.com. You can just go on down to your local Walmart or Sam's Club, get your little four count from Walmart or that massive bulk buy from Sam's Club. I promise you, you won't be disappointed in Built Bar, a proud sponsor of the Locked On Network. All right, we move into our Four Corners recap and shady stat of the game. And this is not going to be part of the Four Corners recap, but man, let's say a word of congrats to Leaky Black on being the North Carolina record holder for most games played in a career. 153 now, surpassing Dion Thompson. And listen, I know people are going to say things about five years and this and that and the other, but it's going to be true of a lot of different records all around the country at schools and in the NCAA. So just... Um, accept it and we move on as for leaky um had you know not as great a shooting night on saturdays he's had of late unfortunately uh, was aggressive early started settling for some threes as as he just had trouble around the rim almost got one to go in, in the closing minutes that that really would have helped but he was aggressive on the backboards again had eight more rebounds and so leaky black doing his best okay four corners recap number one here we go all season long. The shots just don't fall consistently enough all year. Again, season long narrative. After two games of strong three-point shooting, right? You just saw it coming. It was going to come at some point. And unfortunately, it came against Duke. And that's when you really wish it didn't happen. But that's when it did. It was bound to come back to earth. And it was against the Blue Devils. 5 of 23 from 3. That's just 21.7%. 12 of 33 from 2. That's just 36.4%. For a grand total field goal percentage of 30.4%. But here's the weird thing. I just cannot figure out about this team. Despite all of that shooting, they went 18 of 21 from the free throw line. 85.7%. Tying the third highest percentage they've shot this season. I just I just can't figure it out. Uh, lots of bunnies missed all over the place, these kind of things. Uh, the, the free throw attack was led by Armando, 9 of 10 on Saturday. Great performance from him at the line, including those last two free throws that put Carolina <clears throat> ahead, and you thought they might be in good position. P.S., you remember the, the free throw attempts in Cameron where Carolina only got three? Well, they passed that in the first five minutes and 18 seconds of this game. So that was not anything to worry about. Now, 
transitioning from four corners recap point number one to point two it's not just about the shots not going in as we're talking about in point number one but it's also about number two in our four corners recap shot selection now I already talked a little bit about Leakey not having as good a shooting night and, and don't want to rag on him, but Leakey was three for 16 in this game. It's just not a good shooting night, unfortunately. He took seven threes and made just one of them. There, there have been games and times lately where Leakey's shot better from three, but unfortunately it just wasn't the case on Saturday night and allowed Duke to really sag in off of him. Caleb, three of 12 from the field, including 0 of six from three. Armando? He was four of eight. He didn't have enough shots. We're going to talk more about that in a little bit. RJ, six of 13, including three of five from three. Not enough shots. I don't know why. Now, he took one more than Caleb did, so I see that. But if RJ and Armando are having that good a shooting night, we got to have the awareness that those are the dudes that need to be taking the shots. Oh, and I, I mean, I guess as part of that, Armando shouldn't be sitting by the scorer's table when we've got timeouts to use to get him back in the game. But that's a different conversation for tomorrow's show. We'll get there. But if Leakey and Caleb are shooting that poorly and combining for 28 of Carolina shots, meanwhile, Armando and RJ combined are just shy of 50%, but shooting 10 of 21 from the field. That number should be more like 30 Take shots away from leaking shot selection. Got to have this level of awareness that Carolina just didn't have. For example, for example, in one of the main moments of the game, final 20 seconds, Carolina has a chance to tie it. They're down three. RJ should be the one getting this shot. He was not. It was Caleb Love. Now, Caleb has made those shots. Like the, the win in the final four. That's great. Now, Carolina was not down three at that point. They were up, but... The bigger point is you got to ride the hot hand, which just makes sense. And I know Caleb has hit many big shots in his career, but RJ is three of five from three. Caleb was O of five at that point. That's a no brainer who has to get that shot has to be RJ in that moment. And again, in a game where we're talking about a difference of two, three, four possessions, every time the wrong person takes a shot, you are stealing away the ability to win the basketball game. And that's what happened with some of these shot selections. All right, four corners, point number three. One of the concerns coming in was how do we mitigate Derek Lively's impact and influence that he had on the game at Cameron where he had eight blocks and with Derek Whitehead coming back. Remember, he didn't play in the first game. Uh, that, you know, you got to take care of him. Carolina did awesome taking care of those two dudes. Both of them had foul trouble and rendered them essentially ineffective in the game. Lively, Mondo himself drew all four of his fouls, two of them in the first half, and then within the first three minutes of the second half had drawn two more and sent him to the bench. Checked out with zero points. Eventually had that one alley-oop we talked about earlier, but that was it. Had still had three blocks in his 17 minutes, but and then Derek Whitehead, same thing, went to the bench. I think had three points <clears throat> and four fouls. But here's the problem: the whole aim of getting Derek Lively out of the game is so that you can take advantage of it because the shot blocker's not in there. What do you do? You go inside, you get the ball to Mondo, let him operate, either get shots up or kick out to RJ, who's hitting. Pete hit one, you know, whomever. 
That didn't happen. Once again, Armando only had eight shot attempts. Why on earth, when you're trying to get this dude out of the game so you can work on the interior, do you not do that? Armando was fourth on the team in field goal attempts. He's got to have more and had a great all-around game. 17 points, 11 boards, four blocks, and a steal. Armando has to get more field goal attempts than he did on Saturday. But the problem is, while Carolina had the answer for those guys, they had no answer for Kyle Filipowski, who, quite frankly, was the best player on the floor on Saturday night. Um, Leakey uh, wasn't his primary defender. That was Pete Nance. But with Nance in foul trouble, Leakey had to take quite a few turns. And I thought did really admirably against giving up several inches to Filipowski. But Filipowski, man, he's just a great basketball player. And so uh, great job with uh, Lively and Whitehead. But Filipowski had his way. Four corners point number four. There were several stats that we had talked about on Friday that we needed to flip, like the transition points where Duke led 20 to two last time or the free throw discrepancy where Carolina only had three attempts. All of those that we talked about felt like they got flipped. Rebounds was another one. Fast break, North Carolina net led those points nine to four, had nine in the first half. And so that was part of the issue is no more in the second half. Duke adjusted. Free throws, Carolina had 18 more attempts than they did the first time around and had more attempts than Duke. Blocks. Trying to mitigate Derek Lively's eight blocks from last time. Carolina outblocked Duke six to four in this game. Rebounds. The team's tied at 39, and it was like dead even. 10 offensive rebounds each and 29 defensive rebounds each. And so that was great. But the problem was Duke led in some other categories that really spelled Carolina's demise. For example, even though both teams had 10 offensive rebounds, Duke led the second chance points category 14 to seven doubled up the Tar Heels on second chance points or points in the paint. We're just talking about that. You get lively out. You got to take advantage. Duke almost doubled up Carolina in that category as well. 30 to 16 on points in the paint. You did what you needed to do to get the man off the court, but then you didn't follow it up. Shady stat of the game to round out this segment. And it's just simple. I already said it, I already harped on it, so I'm just going to hold up the number eight with my fingers, meaning the number of uh, field goal attempts Armando Baycott had. Just eight. More of those? If Armando takes five more field goal attempts, North Carolina wins this basketball game. Sad day, it is what it is. And because of that, it is most likely that in order now to get to the NCAA tournament, Carolina is going to have to run through the ACC tournament to do so. What's that going to look like? We'll talk about it in just a second. Carolina is now in a weird limbo as we look ahead to the ACC tournament, which kicks off on Tuesday. Carolina will be in action for the first time on Wednesday evening. They're in, in this like limbo where there is still an outside chance at an at-large NCAA tournament bid, even if they don't win the ACC tournament. But the only certain way to get there at this point is to win the NCAA tournament, or excuse me, to get to the NCAA tournament is to win the ACC tournament. Uh, keep in mind, the bubble is always kind of falling apart, which by the way, is a ringing endorsement to not have more teams loaded into this thing. But with other teams around Carolina losing this weekend, man, had they won this game against Duke, it, it would have registered well. So that is very un. Fortunate because Carolina moves quite far down in bracketology after loss. Remember, they were just right there on the cusp of 
last four or uh, first four out, like would have hopped in. But now they're like probably sixth or seventh out from being in. So let's look at that. Carolina, as we look at the ACC tournament bracket, is the seven seed. And here's the funny thing. The way the bracket itself is set up, it's honestly a nice setup for a potential run for the Tar Heels as you look what's ahead. Miami beat Carolina. Duke beat Carolina twice. Pitt beat Carolina twice. All three of those teams are on the other side of the bracket. Carolina wouldn't face any of those three until the championship game. And so that's five of Carolina's nine ACC losses right there on the other side of the bracket. Here's the likely path. Like if the seeds hold, Carolina will play on Wednesday, the winner of Boston College and Louisville. So Boston College it'll be, right? Uh, that'll be Wednesday at 7 Eastern on ESPN2 or ESPNU. Then if they win that game, there's no guarantee that they will. But if they do, they will face Virginia in the quarterfinals. The Cavs are the number two seed in the ACC, which just tells you something about what Carolina could have done, right? You know they're a better team than Virginia. That game would be also at 7 o'clock on ESPN or ESPN2 and on the next night on Thursday. So that would be a quad one win opportunity for Carolina. If they win that game against Virginia, they would face either the three seed Clemson, six seed NC State, uh, 11th seed Virginia Tech, or 14th seed Notre Dame. So more than likely Clemson or NC State, if they make it to the semifinals, that would be Friday at 9.30 on ESPN or ESPN2. And then the championship on Saturday, if they make it that far, would be against anyone else from the other side of the bracket. We can get there in due time. But here's why I bring that path up. The road to the championship itself doesn't frankly feel all that daunting. Boston College, likeliest opponent for Wednesday. You feel good about playing them. Not, not that you're going to blow them out most likely, but you feel good that you should beat them. Virginia. Carolina is one and one against them. Honestly, should have won both games. Remember Armando Baycott and Pete Nance both missed the first one. Baycott, not entirely, but like 38 minutes of that game, he was out. And then waiting after that would either be Clemson, who Carolina decimated in the Dean Dome, or NC State, that Carolina, you know, is chomping at the bit to get back at them. And, and that would get you to the championship by winning those games. I feel like the Tar Heels can do that. And, and that's, I think it was Taylor Vipolis said something on Twitter about like, that's what fandom is, is being so disappointed, <clears throat> excuse me, in that result from Saturday night and turning around and being like, I think they can do this thing. But obviously, once you get to the championship, you'd have to beat most likely Duke, Miami, or Pitt in that. Here is the problem, though. While the setup for Carolina to get to the championship game and potentially win it itself isn't that daunting, like if you believe they have to win the ACC tournament championship to get to the NCAA tournament, you feel pretty good about that. But if you're on the train where you're like, I think Carolina could still get an at-large bid, even if they don't win the ACC championship, like maybe it's just getting to the championship is enough. Here's the problem. There's just not that many quad one win opportunities out there because of the ACC's downness this season. And that's what Carolina needs desperately in case they don't win the ACC tournament championship. Good quality wins just aren't there in abundance. Uh, so keep in mind on a neutral court, it's any team that's in the top 50 at, at um, in the net would be a quad one victory. 
So neither Boston College or Louisville would be that. They're both outside that top 50. So it doesn't matter who you play on Wednesday. Your goal there is just to win. You, like it, it doesn't matter. You just got to win. UVA is going to be a quad one win. Remember, they're about thir- they're 30th as of this recording in the net. So they're not going to drop 20. There's no way that happens. But if you beat Virginia, and first off, before you even get to the semifinals, if they're still sitting at 30 and you beat them, this game in the ACC tournament is obviously a quad one win, but does that move them further down in the net? And then that other win against them is no longer a quad. Like this is the double-edged sword of the quad and the net system is by beating Virginia to get a quad one victory. It might turn our other victory over Virginia, not into a quad one win. you following. Cause if they fall out of the top 30, that one is no longer quad one. It would be quad two. Anyway, the other thing is that if you beat Virginia and if the seeds hold next, you would play Clemson in the semifinals. Who's the three seed. The problem with that is they're outside the top 50 in the net right now. Um, And so that wouldn't be like playing and beating them would not give you another quad one win on your resume. So what you got to hope for if you're North Carolina is that NC state, who's the sixth seed and is inside the top 50 in the net upsets Clemson so that Carolina can play and beat NC state both for bragging rights and to get another quad one victory. Cause you're just looking to rack up as many quality wins in the eyes of the selection committee as you possibly can. So that if you don't win the tournament championship, you've got this better resume. So that's the hope is that if Carolina beats Virginia, that it's NC state you're playing and not Clemson. That's what we're on the lookout for. And then in, in the championship, if you make so lucky to make it that far, let's say you beat NC state or whomever it is you play. Let's look at Miami Pitt and Duke. Cause those are the most likely three teams to make the, the championship from the other side. You really hope there, like on one hand, if you make it to the championship at that point, you kind of want it to be Pitt Cause you feel like that's the worst of those three teams, but they're not a quad one victory. But at that point, it's like, if you've gotten a couple quad, like if you're into the championship, you want to play the worst team possible, just win the whole blessed thing. And then you get the automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. Right. But Pitt would not be a quad one game. Only Miami or Duke would do that. So it's this, you see what I'm saying? It's this weird limbo of like, are we, are we just trying to rack up quad one wins with the hope of making the NCAA tournament? Or are we trying to win the ACC tournament? And then it takes the, takes the, uh, the selection out of the committee's hands because you're automatically in. Well, the ACC tournament feels wide open, quite frankly. So why not the Tar Heels? Well, four games in four days. That is very difficult, especially when you don't play much bench depth. And, and when your bench depth just isn't giving you much, I guess, to be honest about that as well. So y- you hope for upset so that even if you don't face a quad one uh, opponent, you could win the championship, get the auto bid. Crazy balance. Once again, though, I'm just going to keep saying the same thing I've been saying. Just keep winning. Take the decision out of the tournament committee selection committee's hands and just keep winning. This is one uh, we've been saying it for a couple weeks now, but now it's very, very real. Survive and advance. Boston College or Louisville, whoever it is on Wednesday, you just got to beat them by one point. It doesn't matter. Same. Beat, do that and then play Virginia. You just got to have one more point on the scoreboard when it hits zero. That's what you're trying to do. Go out and survive in advance. And use a lot of Armando Baycott for crying out loud. Friends, that's it for today's episode of Locked on Tar Heels. Uh, Another therapy session for us all. Hopefully just getting to talk it out and listen uh, helps you breathe a little 
bit better. You can follow us on Twitter, the show at Locked on Heels, me personally at Isaac Shade. Email us, LockedOnTarHeels at gmail.com. We'd love to talk with you about anything, the season, baseball, football, whatever it is. We'd also love your Heels of the Week nomination. You can send those to the email account. Do not forget to subscribe to the show, smash the like button, and comment. And for your next listen, check out Locked On College Basketball. Man, you want to get all dialed in on that to get ready for conference tournaments going on this week and ahead of Selection Sunday this Sunday before March Madness. So exciting, and we hope, obviously, the Tar Heels will be in. So... Join myself and Andy Patton anywhere that you get podcasts locked on college basketball. Thanks so much for spending part of your Monday talking Carolina sports with me. And remember, even on a day like this where we are all distraught, it's still a great day to be a Tar Heel. Until tomorrow, peace. Peace.